He is alive, right? That's why we celebrate today. Well, this morning before I get into my message, I want to do something that we do every Easter Resurrection Sunday, and that is read the four gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so that we can hear and read together exactly what happened that day from God's Word. So I've asked four different people, and they're going to read those, and it'll be on the screen so you can follow along, and let's listen to what happened on that day. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going on the tomb, rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. But he's not here. He is risen. And just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. And now I have told you. So the the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the, away the, from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. chapter 24 verses 1 through 12 on the first day of the week very early in the morning the women took the spices they had prepared 
and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So those may be familiar to you. Maybe uh, you've read those many times, but I think it's appropriate always on Resurrection Sunday to read those. And you've heard those four accounts which are exactly what happened on that first resurrection morning. After Jesus' death by crucifixion and three days after he had been buried on Friday afternoon. And two of those accounts... Matthew and John are from eyewitnesses who were there and saw Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. But Mark and Luke's accounts were taken from interviews that Luke and Mark interviewed eyewitnesses. And these, as you notice, these accounts are very similar, but they're not exactly the same, are they? And it raises some questions. Why does Matthew mention the earthquake and none of the other gospel writers? Were there two angels or was there one angel? Was it a, simply a young man in a white robe or two men in white clothes that gleam like lightning? 
How many women actually went to the tomb? Was it Mary Magdalene or was there more Marys and other women that went with them? Was Peter the only disciple that ran to the tomb? Was there others? Where were the other disciples? But we know when you see something like this, everybody that sees it and remembers it is going to see it in a little bit different light. There was a lot of confusion that morning, as you can imagine. What do you mean he's alive? But the confusion we know was overcome with joy when each saw and encountered Jesus alive. If the gospel writers were trying to convince the world that Jesus rose from the dead, they probably would have taken a much different approach. They would have tried to probably make all of those stories line up, but they didn't. They just told it exactly as it happened. But even more importantly, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, weren't they? To write down exactly what God wanted them to write down and share, not only to the people in that first century, but also all the way into the 21st century. What they do agree on, and you probably noticed is, is the stone was rolled away, right? The stone was rolled away and Jesus was not in the tomb. He was not there. The three accounts that include angels or men in bright white clothes tell the women at the tomb that Jesus has risen just as he said he would. Oh yeah, that's right. Jesus did say in these same gospel accounts, at least three times that we read about in those gospel accounts, that I will have to suffer, I will die, and on the third day I will be raised again. He told this at least three times to the disciples, and they still didn't get it. So why all the surprise? Why were they so surprised? Because they know and we know that what? Dead people don't come back from the dead, do they? John Stott writes this, It is fitting that a supernatural person should enter and leave the earth in a supernatural way. This is in fact what the New Testament teaches and the church believes. Jesus' birth was natural, but his conception was supernatural. Jesus' death was natural, but his resurrection was supernatural. Think about that. From the very beginning, God showed that supernatural power. Jesus was God in the flesh. He had and has the power to overcome death. And because he does, today we celebrate the fact, y'all, that we do. We have the power over death. Just as Jesus told Nicodemus on that night that Nicodemus came to Jesus and talked to him. He said, whoever believes in him shall what? Shall not perish but have eternal life. We have that because... Of Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 6, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So that teaching is all throughout the foundational teachings of the New Testament in that first century. Now, I want to tell you absolutely this morning that I believe that Jesus was crucified and was raised to life. I believe that with everything that I have. You say, well, I sure hope so if you're the preacher. 
But I believe these four accounts are from real eyewitnesses. These aren't just fairy tales. They're not just myths. These are not made-up people. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were real men who experienced Jesus. And I believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired those four writers, and all of God's Word for that matter, as they did so that we, as John says in his gospel in chapter 20, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's why we celebrate today, y'all, because because he came alive, we have life in his name. And I believe that my faith in Jesus crucified and resurrected is a reasonable faith. It's not based on myths, and I believe that faith has been transforming lives ever since Jesus came out of that grave and will continue to transform lives until he comes again. And I can share compelling arguments that Jesus rose from the dead. Did y'all recognize that voice in the video this morning? Anybody? Billy Graham. Yeah, you remember that. Some of you kids go, Billy who? But Billy Graham was an evangelist, one of the greatest evangelists that's ever lived. And that was him preaching that. And he was telling about those compelling arguments, talking about there, is, there are facts, there is historical evidence that proves that Jesus was who he said he was and that he was crucified. And I want to just share some of those from multiple authors and scholars over the years. Some of y'all have heard this. I've heard this over and over again. But the first thing is, is that Jesus was, in fact, a historical figure, and he was executed by crucifixion by the Roman government in the first century. And this information comes not only from the Bible, and what I think we sometimes miss is in that first century, and even in that second century, it wasn't until the fourth century that the Bible was actually the Bible compiled the way that we have it, all compiled together from Genesis to Revelation. Before that, it was letters. The Old Testament, as we know, were in scrolls and they were separate. But those New Testament documents were letters. The Gospels were separated. They weren't together like when you got it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John were all together. No, they were all separated, written in different times. And they went out as letters and went all, were distributed all through the world. The ancient world, people read those letters just like they read those separate letters from Paul and Peter and John. They weren't all compiled like we have it. But the information comes not only from biblical writings or sources, but it also comes from at least four key non-Christian or non-biblical sources. Josephus, a historian, Tacitus, Lucian, the Talmud, which is the central text of rabbinic Judaism and the primary source of Jewish religious law and Jewish theology. All of those sources tell us that Jesus was really a human figure in that time, and he was executed by the Roman government. Those were not Christian or biblical sources. They tell us exactly those same things. The second reason is that the tomb was empty. The foundational doctrine of the early church in that first century, and it has continued to be the foundational truth of our Christianity, of our faith, was that Jesus bodily resurrected from the dead. It is mentioned over and over again in the New Testament. We read about it in all those other letters besides the Gospels that were circulated, as I said, all over the ancient world. And even Jesus' enemies admitted that the tomb was empty. Now think about that. His enemies admitted 
that the tomb was empty, because it was. The disciples stole the body, they said. The disciples stole the body. You mean they stole the body that you said before it even went in the tomb that you need to guard that tomb because they're going to try and steal that body and tell everybody that he resurrected again. You talking about that body that you put Roman guards in front of so that no one could steal it and the most powerful army in the world couldn't keep it from being stolen from a bunch of scared disciples? That was their plan, but Jesus was alive. The third thing is Jesus' disciples and others claimed to be eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrected body. They didn't just say he was alive. They claimed they physically saw Jesus alive. And it wasn't just the the disciples. We also know, uh, we read in the book of Acts that he appeared, and Paul tells us in Corinthians, that he appeared to over 500 people in that 40-day period while he was resurrected. And the disciples and others were dramatically transformed after experiencing Jesus alive. How else could this happen, that they would be transformed like they were? Because you remember when he was crucified, what did they do? They all went and and hid. They were scared. We're going to be next. They're going to get us, and they're going to crucify us. But all of a sudden, they became transformed. Why could that happen? Because they saw him physically. They heard him talk. They saw him eat. He says, give me a piece of bread. Give me a piece of fish. And he ate it in front of them. Do dead people eat? They saw and touched his hands where the nails were. They saw and touched the hole in his side where the spear was thrust. Jesus said, come touch, feel if you're skeptical. A movement, the church was founded and has grown worldwide shortly after Jesus' resurrection and ascension and continues to grow to this day. Now those three things that I've shared with you this morning, you may have heard those before. Or you may be a skeptic and go, those don't prove anything, Craig. You're right. They don't prove that Jesus rose from the dead. But they are certainly powerful historical facts and evidence that certainly point that Jesus did rise from the dead. Now I'd like to get a little personal this morning if I could. Growing up as a a young man, a little boy, and I see a couple little guys there this morning, I did not think ever that I would be doing what I'm doing, being a preacher. You know what I wanted to do? More than anything else in the world, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. If I could have played for the New York Yankees and played center field and batted cleanup, that would have been the greatest thing in the world. I still think somehow I'm going to do that. But the problem is, if you have a dream like a lot of little boys do of playing in the major leagues, you actually have to be good at baseball. And I wasn't good at baseball. I loved to play it, loved to watch it, but I was not good at it. But somehow God called me to this calling. And I'll be honest, there's times that I've wanted to quit and do something else. Something different. But I'm compelled to do what I believe that God has called me to do. And I feel sometimes like I feel or believe that the prophets and the disciples felt. Because we read that. When you read the Old Testament and you read about the prophets, they became discouraged. They wondered if what I'm saying, does anybody even hear me or care what I'm saying? Paul talks about his discouragement. 
And I think about the words of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah who preached for 40 years over and over again about this coming doom. And everybody goes, you're nuts. Nobody wants to hear that, Jeremiah. God's not going to do what you say he's going to do. And everything Jeremiah said came true. Jerusalem was destroyed and taken over. But he said this, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire that shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And yes, you can get discouraged. And I think sometimes, what is the point of all these services we do 52 Sundays a year? What's the point of these small groups that we do in, in uh, Sunday school and youth groups and programs and all the events that the church does? It can be exhausting, can it? Trying to keep up with all of that. But then you get the opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. Seriously, one-on-one. And you get to see in their eyes that they want that and need that and understand that. And you get to see them come up front and say in front of everybody, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord, my Savior in my life. And you get to walk them back to a baptistry. And you put on the baptistry clothes, not that any of that matters, but you put your hand on their back and you get to take them down into the water and bury their old life and raise them up to a new life in Jesus Christ. And you get to see their eyes as they get the water off of their eyes. And there's this smile. And you know they're different. There's nothing better in the whole world to see that. And then to see their life after that start to be transformed. And a few weeks later, a few months later, a few years later, you see that person is still has that joy. And it transformed their life. Nothing is more important than life than that. And that, I want to say just like Billy Graham, and you notice in that, in that uh, video he says, even if all that evidence wasn't there, I would still believe. Did you hear him say that? I would still believe because I believe that this is God's word and it's true. And I would say even if all that evidence I just talked about, those facts from other sources, from historians, if, even if that wasn't true, when I see transformed lives that, not the theological things, not the things I read in books, but lives transformed convinces me that Jesus rose again on that day. And going back to those four accounts that we heard and listened to this morning, author Frederick Beekner writes about those four accounts. And he says in his book, Whistling in the Dark, if the gospel writers had wanted to tell it in a way to convince the world that Jesus rose from the dead, they would have presumably done it with all the skill and fanfare they could muster. Here there is no skill. When we read those accounts, there's no skill, there's no fanfare. They seem to be telling it simply the way it was. Now think about that. When the angels came and announced his birth, there was angels and a choir singing. But when he was resurrected, it was just women going and, and running away scared, going, where is he? Just like he says there. Go back to his, his comments. He says, the, the narrative is fragmented, shadowy, incomplete as life itself. 
When it comes to just what happened, there can be no certainty that something unimaginable happened. There can be no doubt. The symbol of Easter is this empty tomb. That's why we have this on. We need to see that symbol. We need to be reminded of that. You can't depict or domesticate emptiness. He rose. A few saw him briefly and talked to him. If it's true, there is nothing left to say. If it is not true, there is nothing left to say. For believers and unbelievers both, life has never been the same again. For some, neither has death. What is left is the emptiness. And this is the line that I love that he writes. There are those like Mary Magdalene will never stop searching until they find his face. And that's what she did that day, wasn't it? I don't know if any of us can ever imagine what it would be like to be possessed by a demon. You're going, whoa, where are you going with that? Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. I can't even imagine one, but seven demons. And Jesus drove those demons out of her, and she was never the same, y'all. She never stopped following Jesus. He had disciples. She was one of the disciples, maybe not the 12, but she followed Jesus. She was never the same. When Jesus set her free to be the Mary that God created her to be, she never stopped. The disciples all ran off, but guess who was at the foot of the cross? Mary Magdalene was. She saw the whole thing till he died. She saw them when they gave him to Joseph of Arimathea and put him in the tomb. She watched them put him in the tomb. She knew he was there. And she went back on Sunday morning to prepare his body. And when he wasn't there, she wanted to know, where is my Lord? Where have they taken him? And she found him because she truly was searching for him. That's why Mary found him. And this morning, the emptiness of the tomb can bring you and me, those of us who are already believers, it can bring us a reminder that Jesus loves us, that he died for us, that he rose for us, and he gave us eternal life and a restored relationship with God forever. But some of you this morning may not be believers. You may be skeptical, and that's okay. Even one of Jesus' own disciples, several, but we remember Thomas the most. Jesus is alive. Yes, sure he is. I don't believe that until I see him and touch his hands, and then Jesus shows up and goes, Here you go. And he wanted to touch. He wanted to feel. And he felt Jesus' hands and he stuck his hand in his side. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. He was a believer. But my prayer is if you're one of those skeptical people this morning, that you will truly and authentically search and find Jesus as Mary Magdalene did. For some of you here this morning who may be experiencing emptiness. Maybe the emptiness of the tomb just reminds you of that emptiness in your life. But I hope the emptiness of the tomb and Mary's search compels you, inspires you, motivates you to truly seek his face and find him and in him the transforming power of the resurrection that we celebrate today. And we give that opportunity today that you can come And you can like Thomas, you can like all the disciples, you can like millions of people throughout history have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be baptized, be buried, 
in Christ and resurrect to a new life in Christ and put away and bury forever that old empty life. So we're going to offer that invitation. We're going to have communion together in just a minute. And I hope as you came in this morning, you got one of those little packets. But we're going to celebrate communion. And Kevin's going to lead us in a song. And if you need to make a decision today to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity. I'm going to be right here on these steps. And if you want to do that, you can walk forward and I'll walk you through the best I can. But for the rest of us, I want us just to reflect on how much Jesus loved us. That he died for us and that he rose for us. He did everything he said he was going to do. He fulfilled those prophecies. He fulfilled what God had called him to do in this earth. And aren't you glad? Because we have salvation because of what Jesus did. And we celebrate that this morning. And he asked us to remember that and never forget in a very simple way, by taking a piece of bread and a cup of juice, cup of wine that reminds us of his death on that cross and his blood that he shed to give us that forgiveness.